preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather here today, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together as your people to honor and worship you. And Lord, as today is September 11th, and we'll remember the tragedies 10 years ago, I once again ask that you would continue to be with those who are affected by the tragedies that day, that you would bring comfort and peace to our lives. Lord, I also thank you for organizations like the North Carolina Baptist Men who are able to go and provide support during such times. Lord, I ask that you would continue to enable us just to support such organizations, not only through um, money and prayer, but also through giving of our own time. Lord, as we come here now to study your scriptures, I ask that you would reveal your word to us just like you did to Paul. That you will open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you would have us to hear. And it's in your name I pray. Thank you, Megan. We continue working through the book of Galatians this morning. And one of the great things about this passage that Megan just read and we're going to be unpacking this morning is that it shows the personal dimension of the gospel. That the last two weeks, Paul's been saying these kind of abstract theological statements and we've been unpacking their significance. But here we are going to see in this passage and also in next week's passage about how what Paul is writing about and what he's talking about. It's not just some collection of information to him. It's not just some kind of distant uh, truths that, that he says, oh yeah, you need, you need to deal with those and you need to believe them. But that these truths that he's writing about and that we are discussing this morning and that we're preaching about and teaching about radically changed his life. That he was someone completely different after he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ than he was before he encountered the gospel. So as we read this passage, one of the things that will, or as we unpack this passage in the next few minutes, one of the things that will be challenging to us as we look at Paul's life is that we will be forced, hopefully, to ask the question of, have we had a similar encounter with the gospel? And by that I mean, have we had a personal experience with the gospel to where it has transformed who we are? That we once were this person, but now as a result of hearing the gospel, seeing the gospel, 
uh, and becoming born again, we are now this person, someone who is drastically different. And that is what happened in the life of Paul, and that is uh, hopefully what will be happening in our lives uh, this morning. So a couple of things I want us to look at are, are three different things we're going to look at this morning in this passage. We're going to look at the way Paul was before he was converted. We're going to look at how Paul was after he converted. And then we're going to focus in on the middle of the passage and look at what the difference was and, and what was the transforming moment uh, for Paul. And all these things Paul is seeking to, to bring clarity to the gospel. As, as uh, the first verse of the passage in verse 11 reads about how he's, he's talking about this gospel and he said, he's saying that this is, this is not man's gospel. That what Paul is talking about here is not something that, that he invented himself. It's not something that he got from anybody. That what he is writing about is a direct revelation from God. And so that these words he's saying and, and the things that he's talking about, that this is, this is God's gospel. So it's not mine, it doesn't belong to me, and it's not yours, and it doesn't belong to you. But it is God's gospel. And therefore, we don't have any right to change it. We don't have any right to adjust it. The only thing that we need to do is make sure that we're listening to it, that we're hearing it, and submitting our lives to its demands. And so how does Paul do this? The first thing we're going to look at is Paul before his conversion. Look at verses 13 and 14. And let's remember who Paul was before he became the greatest missionary and theologian in the church's history. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Very clear here, if you've never read the book of Acts, one of the things that you will see in the book of Acts is that there was a man named Saul, who Paul used to be. His name was Saul. And in the middle of the book of Acts, there is the account of the first person who was killed for being a Christian. His name is Stephen. He was the first martyr of Christianity. And there is a man who held the cloaks of those men who threw the stones. And that man's name was Saul. Later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, it says that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And in Acts 26, it talks about that Paul was the one that cast the vote against those who were condemned to death. So when Christianity began to grow... When Jesus was raised from the dead and He appeared to the apostles, and the apostles began preaching God's Word and people began becoming Christians, there was one man who stood by who was not indifferent to things that were going on. In fact, he was zealous about his feelings toward Christianity. He thought it was wrong. He thought Jesus was an imposter. He thought that all the things that the Christians were doing were blasphemous. And so he joyfully... And 100% committed himself to the destruction of the Christian church. It says that he was going house to house. So just imagine here, this man, if he lived here, would be someone that's going house to house around here. Looking for anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Looking for anyone who considered themselves a Christian. And in his mind was blasphemed against God. That he, was, he had devoted his life to this. That he was passionate about this. And that he violently tried to destroy it. So if you ran into Saul in these days and you asked him, Saul, 
you know, sum up your life. You know, what's your goal in life? Saul would have said, right now I have one goal in life. And that is to rid this land of Christians. And he was willing to do it by throwing men and women in jail. And he was willing to do it by killing people. Now, it's amazing that uh, you think about this passage in light of words that we would use today. What do we call people who take their religion to such a point that they begin killing other people? Terrorists, right? We call them terrorists. So if Paul lived today, guess what? He would have been on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. He would have been on the uh, 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 President Bush's axis of evil list. Because he's killing innocent people for religious purposes. Simply because he doesn't believe what they believe is true. Simply because he doesn't believe that Jesus is who they say he is. And so he feels like he has the right to kill them. So he's not just saying that, oh yeah, I think it's a bad idea. He's not indifferent at all. It's important to see this, to understand the depths of the grace of the gospel. That Paul was not indifferent toward Christianity. He was passionately opposed to Christianity. To the point that he was killing other people. And furthermore, it says that because of this, he was advancing in Judaism. That if Time Magazine would have come out with a list then of of who's who among the Pharisees, who's the next generation of the religious of Judaism, Paul would have been at the top of the list. He was the top of his class. He was the one everyone was looking toward, like this this is going to be, he's going to be the next great Pharisee. Paul had everything going for him. In his worldview, according to what he thought was important. Now that's who Paul was. But this is not who Paul is when he's writing the book of Galatians. And he's not who Paul is at the end of this passage. Notice what it says after Paul's conversion. In verses 23 and 24 at the end of this passage. He's talking about uh, what people have been hearing about him. The churches of Judea that are in Christ. He says in verse 23, he says that these churches were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So notice what Paul is saying there. That's completely opposite of what he was saying about himself in verses 13 and 14. So you have this man in verses 13 and 14 who was killing Christians. He was throwing women and men into jail. That he was violently seeking to destroy the church. That he was passionate about advancing in Judaism. And becoming a great Pharisee. That's what the the, the Paul you have in verses 13 and 14. And then in verses 23 and 24 you have this man who is known among all the churches as a man who preaches the faith of the gospel. And that many people are glorifying God because of him. They're not glorifying Paul. They're not glorifying the apostles. But they're glorifying God because of Paul. So it leaves the question, what in the world happened? How did this man go from someone who was killing Christians and passionately seeking to destroy the church to someone who is passionately seeking to advance the church? 
What in the world happened to this man? And the answer is what this whole book is about. This man encountered the gospel. This man experienced the gospel. This man experienced Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verses 15 and 16. And this is the source of Paul's conversion, the the reason for his transformation. Notice what he says in verse 15 and 16. This begins it by saying, but... So in light of the things he talks about of who I was in verses 13 and 14, now he says, this is who I am now. This is what happened in verse 15. He says, but when He, He being God, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me, in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So if you remember back in the book of Acts, there's this account where Saul had received papers to go to Damascus to persecute Christians. And on that road to Damascus, something happened. Jesus appeared to Paul. And he's saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the result of this vision of Christ was that Paul was saved. He realized that what he was passionate about was in fact opposing God. And he was persecuting Christ by killing Christians. And the result was that Paul realized that in fact he was wrong. He was trying to kill those who were blaspheming against God. But in reality, he was guilty of the very crime that he sought to eliminate and punish. Notice how he talks about his conversion. If you see in verses 13 and 14, all the the pronouns are I. Paul is saying, I persecuted the church. I did this violently. I was advancing in Judaism. And I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But in 15 and 16, he shifts. No longer is it about him, but all of a sudden it becomes about what God has done. And he's simply saying that it's God who had set me apart before I was born. Or from my mother's womb. It's God who called me by His grace. It's God who was pleased to reveal His Son to me. All this in order that I may preach the gospel to the Gentiles. God who set him, before, set him apart before birth. You realize the wisdom and, and the mysterious aspects of God's grace. Well, this isn't the only time this has happened. But Paul himself talks about in Romans 9, how in, with, when, Esau, excuse me, when Jacob and Esau were in the womb, that before they were born, the Lord chose Jacob. That it was in the womb that Jeremiah was appointed to be a prophet for the Lord. That it was in the womb that John the Baptist heard of the news of Jesus' coming birth and he left for joy. And here Paul is saying that it was in the womb that God set me apart. That He knew that I was going to be a persecutor of the church. He knew that I was going to kill those who claimed His Son as Lord. He knew that I was going to hold the clothes for those men who threw stones at Stephen. And Paul said, God knew all this. But even then, He set me apart saying that there will be a day where I will reveal my Son to you on the road to Damascus. And I will extend my grace to you. 
and I will save you. I will reveal my Son to you in order that you may preach that which you opposed. The beauty of the Gospel. And as we think about the significance of a passage like this for our congregation, there are three things in particular that I think we need to be mindful of. First of all, you, you may say, if you're a believer, you say, Corey, I, I understand the Gospel, I have faith in the Gospel. Well, a couple, two reminders. The first one is that we don't forget the essence of the Gospel. And that when we talk about our salvation, when we talk about who we are in Christ, that we talk about it in the way that the Bible talks about it. That it is God who called us. It is God who chose to reveal His Son to us. It is God's grace that is given to us. And we remind ourselves that we are completely unable to save ourselves. If God doesn't send Jesus, if God doesn't send the Spirit to work in our hearts, if He doesn't give us His Word, how will we ever know the Gospel? How will we ever be saved? As Paul says later in Ephesians, it's it's through Christ that we are made alive. That it's in Christ we are made alive. That we can't save ourselves. You can work and work and work and work. Come to church, come to church, come to church. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. But salvation is a work of God's grace that no man should boast. So here Paul is not boasting in in saying, notice what he's completely avoiding. My temptation, maybe your temptation too, would be able to say, well, you know, this is what I used to do, but look at me now. Look what I did. I used to be a persecutor, but now I'm a great apostle. I'm writing half of the New Testament. That's not what Paul does. He's reflecting upon God's grace to him. Saying it's God that set me apart from my mother's womb. It's God who called me by His grace. It's God who chose to reveal His Son to me. As he writes in later of his books, he says that I am the chief among all sinners, that there's no sinner greater than I am. And this is the Apostle Paul saying that. He recognizes where he came from. And so when he talks about his conversion experience, he talks about it with an emphasis upon God. So when we talk about our conversion experience, let's be careful to to put the emphasis on God's grace, upon what God has done. And remember that it was God who died, sent Jesus to die for us, even while we were yet sinners. Not because we deserved it, not because we were worthy, but because God is a God of love and grace. And He extended His salvation to us. And the second thing as believers that we can remember, as we pray for people in our family, our people in our community that don't know Christ. Let's think for a second, if we lived some 2,000 years ago at this time, before Paul was converted, and we were having a good old prayer meeting, and someone said, well, you know, we need to pray for lost people. We need need to start going door to door. And somebody said, well, who should we pray for? Let's say Wayne raises his hand and Wayne says, well, you know, I think we ought to go visit old Saul. You know, I saw him holding the the cloaks out there 
the coats and everything when they were stoning Stephen. I think we should go visit him. Obviously, he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. Who wants to go visit Saul? I mean, he would raise their hand. Now, I probably wouldn't have raised my hand. In fact, I know I wouldn't have raised my hand. Would you have raised your hand and said, Oh yeah, Wayne, that's a great idea. I mean, if you, even if, if someone said, Well, let's at least pray for him. Wayne well, said, If you're not going to go, let's at least pray for him. You probably would have all agreed, Yeah, let's pray for him. But how many of us would have sincerely believed that God would save this man? How many of us would sincerely believe that, I tell you what, God can save this man? He's killing Christians. He is vehemently opposed to what we're doing here. But I believe that God can save him. I would have had a hard time believing that. The reason I know that is because I know of people in my life right now that aren't killing Christians. But often I have a lack of faith on whether or not God could really save them. And so what about you? Osama bin Laden's dead now. But is the gospel power enough to save someone who kills innocent people? It was for Paul. Has the gospel lost its power? Is it any less powerful today than it was 2,000 years ago? Is the gospel that Paul's writing about, has it lost its luster and its ability to save people? In my mind, I don't believe it has. But I think oftentimes in our hearts, we think that it has. So think of the person that you know, whether it be in your family, maybe a child, maybe a spouse, a parent, co-worker, whoever it is, that doesn't know Christ. Does the gospel have the power to save them? Do you believe that the gospel has the power to save them? Is the gospel that saved Paul, that turned him in from a terrorist persecutor of the church to the greatest missionary and theologian of the church, is it the same gospel that can save your loved ones? Your neighbors, co-workers. So are we being faithful in trusting in the power of the gospel? But what people need more than anything is to be shown the love of the gospel. To be shown the truth of the gospel. And so do we believe it has the power to save people? So I hope that as we think about this passage, one of the things it does is that it, it renews our confidence in God's power and His ability to save people. The most wretched of sinners... Doesn't matter what they've done or, or, or who you think they are, they need redemption. They need the same gospel that Paul needed. And then the final point of 
significance for us. Maybe for some of you, as you read this and, and you think about this, maybe you are similar to Paul and that you are zealous in your religious tradition. And your religious tradition would be something similar to what we're doing this morning. And you're zealous in it. And so when we talk about preaching, you're passionate. To, yes, preach the Word of God. You're passionate in, in getting people to come to church. You're passionate in seeing uh, the church do good things. You're passionate for religious things. You're passionate for morality. Was Paul out there promoting adultery and fornication and drunkenness and drug use? No. He was promoting the law of God. He was zealous for these things. So the question that it raises for all of us is, am I zealous for morality? Am I zealous for religious things? But yet I've never experienced the gospel. You can be passionate about being a great dad or a mom. You can be passionate about being a good member at Redbud. You can be passionate about raising your kids with good morals. You can be passionate about being a faithful spouse. You can be passionate about being pro-life. You can be passionate about guarding the sanctity of marriage. All these things you can be passionate about. You can be passionate about church attendance. You can can tell people the importance of being here on Sunday. All these things Paul would have been doing before his conversion. He would have been on the same page with you. But, he had yet to trust in Christ for his salvation. He was seeing those things that he was passionate about as a means to his righteousness. He was doing them thinking that I am honoring God by doing all these good and wonderful things. But yet at the end of the day, he remained a condemned sinner outside of God's grace. Because all those passionate activities are meaningless without faith in the Gospel. And so Paul comes to the point where he realizes that all his zealous passion for the traditions of the fathers was meaningless. He couldn't save himself. The only hope for him was to trust in the life of Christ for his righteousness, to trust in the death of Christ for the payment of his sins, and trust in the resurrection of Christ as a sufficient promise that our sins have been paid for and that we will live for eternity with Christ. So the last point of significance for us is are you zealous for religious activities and traditions without ever understanding or embracing the gospel? And you may say, well, Corey, that's not really possible. I'm saying it is possible. It was possible in the life of Paul. 
And I believe that it remains possible today. So this morning, as we conclude this passage, have you personally experienced the Gospel? The Gospel wasn't something that Paul just knew in his mind, but he knew from the experiences that he had had that this indeed was true. It had transformed his life. Has it transformed your life? Are you different today because of the Gospel? Or are you just passionate about morality and religious things? Are you trusting alone in Christ for your salvation? Are you trusting in your activities and things that you do? My hope is that the Lord would work in such a way as He worked in Paul's heart. Where He would show us where we are wrong in understanding the Gospel. And He would raise up a congregation here that trusts in Christ and in Christ alone. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.